Revelation chapter 10 was where we were last week, and what we saw is we, we kind of focused our eyes up towards heaven to see what was going on. And what we saw is that heaven, there was an angel with a foot on the, there was a foot on the ground, a foot on the sea, represented authority, represented that the totality of God's judgment is going to cover everything, water, sea, air, it's going to cover it all. And God has, uh, God has placed a scroll in that angel's hand. I believe it was the seven-sealed scroll that we've seen throughout the book of Revelation that has the entire redemptive plan and process that God is using to restore uh, the earth and restore humanity. It has all the judgments. It has the seal judgments, the bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments. It's all there. It tells John to eat it. The message in the scroll was sweet in his mouth. It made him have heartburn. It gave him a sour stomach. And it represents the gospel message. The gospel message to you, Angie, is the most incredible message you've ever heard. The gospel message to you, Sharon, is the most powerful message you've ever heard. It's power for those of us who are being saved. But that same message makes lost people sick, makes the world sick. They don't understand it. And so when he took that, then God said, go, go preach that message to the world. Because they need to know where this stuff's coming from. They need to know why they're being judged. They need to know what's going on. In chapter 11, which, we're, we, uh, which is where we are today, we are drawn back once again into the theater that's on the earth. I'm going to ask you to respond with uh, the even verses, guys. And uh, I ain't going to lie to you. This was a train wreck last night. I couldn't get everybody to, to read together. So we're going to try more better today, okay? So I just want to encourage you. I was given a, don't tell Saturday Night Crowd that I'd said that, all right? Uh, we're, we're live, aren't we? Okay. Uh, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, John, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. Church? Starting off a little shaky, I ain't going to lie to you. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Now, when they had finished their testimony, uh, the beast, this is the first reference to the word beast in the entire revelation. There's about 36 different instances where, this, where the beast is, is referred to, and this is the absolute first time we've seen the word beast in the book of Revelation. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast comes up from the abyss, will attack them and overpower, and will finally kill them. What city are they in, church? They are in Jerusalem. Not a spiritual Jerusalem, not an allegorical or hyperbole Jerusalem. They are in the city of uh, Jerusalem. Um, Mom, what verse am I on? Nine. For three and a half days, these men from the, the uh, three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. But after the three and a half days, a breath, from, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood at their feet, and terror struck all who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here, and 
And at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city of Jerusalem collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God in heaven. Now finally, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there was a loud voice in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Church? Same, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was, because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple he saw the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. The earth at this point had been going literally through hell on earth. Four horsemen of the apocalypse have been released. The Antichrist has emerged. We've seen pestilence, and we have seen disease, and war, and rumors of war, civil unrest. We've seen a huge comet or a meteorite or or an asteroid hit the earth, disrupts the, the salt water, kills a bunch of fish, all kinds of sea life, it stinks. Another one hits and it makes the, the potable water, makes the fresh water uh, undrinkable. It's a bad time. It's like one out of every four people die. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's bad. And what they've been going through during this time is, is they've been going through a, a time of judgment. They've been going through a time of, of God's wrath on humanity for rejecting God, upon the world for rejecting God's plan. Revelation reminds us something, though. It's a dark chapter. I ain't going to lie to you. It's a difficult chapter. But when we look at things like the temple and the two witnesses, this is, to me, this is the takeaway. Whatever God says is going to happen will happen. Whatever promise he gives you will come to pass. I'm going to look at the fallen temple. Let's look at the temple. The temple in Jerusalem that, that's being talked about here in Revelation 11, it's not a past temple, it's a rebuilt temple. Uh, there have been two temples in the past. Number one, uh, the first one was, uh, was, was built by Solomon. That was David's boy. He started building it in about five, uh, he started building it in 66 to 959 B.C. It was a tremendous building. Um, Perhaps one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. The building is about 180 foot long. It's about 90 foot wide. And the ceiling is about 50 foot tall. Uh, the highest part of the, the temple was about 20 stories. Or about 207 feet tall. It was there in the middle. Uh, but inside this place, it was full of gold. It was full of opulence. It was, it was wonderful. It's where the presence of God manifested and resided behind this huge veil inside the building. There was a holy place in the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was all the way in the back. And in 578 B.C., Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar came in and totally razzed the temple, destroyed it, took the people of Israel hostage, took them to Babylon. So the temple fell, fell in 578 B.C. Have you ever noticed on TV whenever you're seeing Orthodox Jews are always wearing one color? What color are they wearing? They're always wearing black. The reason why they wear black, Kooner, is because they are still mourning the loss of the temple of 578. They're still mourning that loss. Um, so in 578, the temple is destroyed. Seventy years later, 
two people, Ezra and Zerubbabel, go back to where the temple had stood. And they begin to rebuild it. They begin to, to do what they can. They begin to remodel and things like that. And sure enough, it did. It did not return to the opulence of King Solomon's, uh, but it was still a temple. That's where they were doing the sacrifices and things like that. Uh, in the year 19 B.C., King Herod the Great in Israel, in a way to impress his Roman handlers, he remodeled and rebuilt the temple, expanded the complex uh, of the temple, and it stood for 70, uh, till 70 A.D. Herod's temple would have been the temple that Jesus ministered at. Herod's temple would have been the temple that Peter preached on the southern side of the hill and thousands of people got saved on the day of Pentecost. That was it. In 70 A.D., a general by the name of Titus, a Roman general, came into there and and, and razzed the place, tore it apart. One of the soldiers or somebody, we don't really know, we weren't there, somebody throws a Molotov cocktail or some type of a torch inside the Holy of Holies, <laughs> place goes up in flames. Remember what I told you was all over the walls? Gold. Guess what starts leaking out of the place? Gold starts leaking into the cracks of all the, the bricks and things like that. And it's an amazing thing about the bricks. The first Kings tells us this, that when they were building the original, uh, when they were building the original temple, you weren't allowed to have the sound of a hammer or a chisel with an earshot of where this temple was going to be built. And so they had to build everything off site and bring it in. And so, I mean, this was a big deal. But as the gold started melting and going in between the cracks of the bricks and the blocks, the soldiers saw it, so you know what they did to get rid of the, you know how they got the, uh, you know how they got the gold out? They had to start taking bricks apart and blocks apart. Do you remember a prophecy that Jesus gave back in, uh, back in uh, I think it's Matthew, but yeah, Matthew 24, verse 1 through 2. Jesus left the temple. He was walking away. His disciples came up to him and called his attention to the building. And Jesus said, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one of these stones will be left on top of one another. He was talking about, he was speaking prophetically about 70 A.D. He was speaking about when that temple would be destroyed. And by the way, if you would go there today, you're not going to find one block on one block of the temple proper. I tell you what you will see. You ever seen the Wailing Wall in Israel? That would have been a part of the outer wall that would have been built by King Herod. That's the part that remains. So when they're there, they are as close as they can possibly be to where the Ark of the Covenant, where the mercy seat of God was. And that's why so many people pray there. It's a beautiful thing. If you ever get a chance to go, I would encourage you to go. Now, here's the thing. We just read, y'all okay? Feel like you're getting a history lesson? Are you okay with that? I'm going to land the plane eventually, so stay with me, okay? Uh, no temple has stood in Israel for 1,960 years. So how do we get this temple in Revelation chapter 11? Where is this dude going to come from? Where will this temple be erected? Because no temple has, has been there. But when John wrote Revelation chapter 11, I want you to know the temple had already been destroyed. Let me place the context for you. How many of you all remember 2008 when President Obama got elected? Okay. That was the, that's the time difference between when the temple was destroyed and when John wrote this letter, recent history for him, he knew all about it. So when he's talking about a rebuilt temple, he's not talking about the 70, uh, the 70 AD temple that would have been destroyed because there's no temple there now. So he's got to be talking about a third temple, a distant temple, a temple in the future that had not been erected yet. This future temple will stand in the city of Jerusalem. Church, if God says that the temple will stand again, you better believe that the temple will stand again. Because God says something will stand, 
it will raise. If God says it will stand firm, it won't go down. And that's what he says. Church, the Temple Institute today. The Temple Institute in Jerusalem today is working with a group of Orthodox Jewish men to make sure that when the time comes for the temple to go up, they have everything they need to go in there immediately. Whether they're talking about the forks or the shovels or the table of showbread or the menorah, whether they're talking about the altar of incense, whether they're talking about the brazen altar or the basin, they have all of these things prepared. Heck, there's even a school, there's two schools in, in uh, Israel today where if you have the last name Cohen, C-O-H-E-N or K-O-H-E-N, Cohen means priest. So if you have the last name of Cohen, it means you probably come from a long line of priests. Going all the way back to, uh, to Zaldak, who Zaldak goes all the way back to the first priest of Israel. Zaldak was the first priest in King Solomon's temple. Aaron was the, was the first priest. That whole bloodline is connected. So today, if you have a name Cohen, you can be accepted into the school and they teach you to do one thing. How to kill animals and to sacrifice them on the altar that's not even there. They are training the priests to work in the third temple today. Because the Jews understand without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission. There is no removal of sin. They understand the power of the blood. You're saying, well, preach. they've been preaching that since the 70s. You know, man. Let me show you a commercial that was shown in Israel back in 2019, right before the pandemic hit. If I could show that commercial real quick. Thank you. in the end of days, the mountain of the Temple of Hashem will be firmly established as the head of the mountains, and it will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Mount that the temples have been built upon have been it is 35 acres of land the Jews believe that it's the foundation stone of the world they believe that when Adam and Eve were created they were on that stone they believe that the Garden of Eden was on the Temple Mount they believe that creation started there they believe that the foundation stone of the world which is on the Temple Mount is the belly buttons the navel of the world it's ground zero for what God considers the most valuable piece of real estate on the planet 35 acres. 35 acres is what's the most highly contested piece of real estate between the Jews, between Christians, and between Muslims. This 35 piece, this 35 acre piece of ground. You want to know how big 35 acres is? This little piece of ground that's got the world in an uproar. You ever went through Coal Park? 35 acres. That's how big this place is. That makes the nations rage. That infuriates the world. It's ground zero for what God's redemptive plan has on the scroll. There has not been a temple that has stood there for 2,000 years. And this little piece of ground is at the center of Revelation chapter 11. If that mosque that is there right now, the temple, uh, the, uh, the Dome of the Rock, legend says that it's over the, the stone, the foundation stone of the world. 
Islam says that that's where Muhammad went on his night journey before he went to heaven. His horse's name was Al-Barak. Lands on the Temple Mount, pushes off, and supposedly leaves his hoof prints in the stone and goes to heaven to get uh, a word from Allah and talk to the prophets that have went before him. You go taking down that mosque, you've just infuriated 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. You want to talk about ugly. So what happens? So the traditional view of the Dome of the Rock puts it right there in the Holy of Holies or west, arrested. But what we've well, not me, but what some scholars have found out, they said, you know what? That may not be the spot. It might be right over here, what's called the, uh, the Shrine of the Spirits. The original name for it was called the Shrine of the Tablets. You know what's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Tablets. It's very possible that when they started building that Dome of the Rock back in the 6th century, there were Christians and Muslims there who said, we ain't going to tell them where I was at. We're not going to tell them. You can do what you want, but we're not going to tell you where it was. Now, here's the movement that's afoot right now. There's a movement in the Israeli Knesset. It's not big, but it's there. Let the Dome of the Rock stand. We'll build the temple right next to it. I will tell you this, I don't know what's going to happen to the Dome of the Rock, but I can tell you about the temple. If God said it's going to raise, it will raise. Amen. If he says it'll stand, it'll stand. The resurrected temple of God isn't the only resurrection we see in chapter 11. We also see two fallen witnesses. Through our history, God has spent incredible spokesman to, to call sinners to repentance, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jonah. The New Testament, you've got King Jesus himself, and you've got Peter and Paul and all the apostles. You go a little bit further, you've got the early church fathers, Polycarp and Irenaeus. You have Luther and Edwards and Spurgeon and Graham and a host of others, a great preachers like Rolf and Gent and Brookman, and one of these days, maybe even a couple of Fogersons. In earth's darkest hour, God sends two exceptionally superpowered preachers into the world to tell them why all this is going on, why the judgments are happening, why the birds are dying, why the trees are dying, why there's not enough food, why there's not enough water, why there's so much disease. God sends them into the earth the last three and a half years of this great tribulation. He sends two lampstands, two olive trees to tell people why they're being pummeled, uh, pummeled by God's judgment. They tell the world who's behind the calamity. They tell the world who's behind the pain who's behind all this stuff and if people try to kill them they die if they try to lay them down they lay down these are these are bad mamma jammas they tell it to stop raining it stops raining they say the, the uh, sky to open up sky opens up they say water turned to blood water turns to blood man these guys are the superpower I mean they're supernatural I mean it's awesome you come to them they try to kill them they open up their mouth like Godzilla fire falls out on them it's bad and I got a feeling that the Antichrist has been trying to do everything he can to kill these dudes because the Antichrist is saying, worship me. You've got, you've got these two witnesses over here say, uh-uh, you worship God. Who are these two dudes? Now, we don't really know, so we're going to make some speculation. But the big idea is that one of these guys is probably Moses and the other one is either Elijah or Enoch. We don't know. Uh, there's an interesting passage in Jude, verse 9, that says that there was this angel, I think it was Gabriel or Michael, but they're fighting with the devil over the remains, over the body of 
Moses. So they're thinking that maybe the reason why they're fighting over the body of Moses is because it's pointing to resurrection. I don't know, but I'm just telling you that's the verse that they use to speculate that. Uh, the Bible tells in the book of Malachi, we're promised that in the end of days that God will send back Elijah. By the way, Elijah never died. When he went to heaven, he went up in a chariot of fire. Do you remember that story? So he was translated from here to there, but he's coming back, I believe, uh, in, in the book of Malachi. Jesus promises that. So this is an interesting thought, too. Have you wondered how all the little special deals are done in the temple or how the temple gets built to all the exacting, all the exacting specifications? Moses knew everything about the temple. He knew it down to the square inch. So no, there's, there's no better resource than, than Moses and or Elijah. So these two guys get up there preaching for three and a half years. And finally, the, the, the Antichrist puts them down. I don't know how he does it, but those two witnesses die dead in the streets. And, 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 and uh, Jewish tradition says that when you die, you're supposed to be buried that day. Not so with these guys. They lay in the streets for three and a half days. And Cooner, this is what I think happens. Have you ever seen one of those uh, eagle's nests online where they have 24-hour coverage of the eagle's nests? You can get on there at 1 in the morning. I think for three and a half days, you'll be able to get online and watch a live feed of those bodies in the streets in Jerusalem. That's what I think. The whole world's going to watch them for three and a half days, and they're going to say, thank God, those guys have been putting a stop to all of our fun and all of our pleasure. They're going to have a party. They're going to send gifts to one another. The church, when those witnesses died, the Bible says that their testimony had been finished. They didn't get out of here one second before God allowed them to. They didn't die before their job was over. And church, I've got great news for us. We don't die until our job's over. We don't stay one second longer and we don't get out of here one second earlier. God is going to finish what, he's pla what He has placed in your life to do. He always has and He always will. Church, God sets a, oh listen, God sets a limit on, long, on how long He will let His witnesses rest in the grave. There's a limit on how long you're going to be in the grave. Three and a half days and they stand and then God says, Boys, come up here. I think this is rapture 2.0. I think they immediately are raptured into heaven. God sets that limit. They were immortal until their work was done as God's witnesses. Church, when God removed those two witnesses, the Bible says there is a tremendous earthquake. The largest fault line in the world is not in America. It's in Israel. It's in the Middle East. 37,000 miles long. I'm sorry, 3,700 miles long, not 37, 3,700 miles long. It's called the Great Rift Valley. It runs right through Israel, right by the Mount of Olives on the south side, the Temple Mount. The Bible says when those two witnesses are gone, God stamps his foot and the land splits. And here's the amazing thing. You want to know what mountain the Bible says that Jesus is going to touch his foot back down on? That one that just got broke open by the, by the, by the, uh, by the earthquake, Mount of Olives. Church, when God removed those two witnesses, He's up to something. And as the dust settles and the seventh trumpet blows, heaven says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. We've not seen Armageddon yet. We've not seen the last of days. We've not seen the millennial reign. But yet heaven is saying, heaven has come to earth. And they say, He will reign forever and ever. He's not reigning yet. Armageddon hasn't happened. Millennial reign, several other things to do. Why is heaven saying it's open, uh, over? Why is heaven saying the fat lady has sang? Why is heaven saying it's all over but the crying? This is because heaven is sure that when God says something, He means it. And even before it happens, they can thank Him for it. 
Church, I've got news for you. Heaven is not the only one to have that kind of faith in the promises of God. If God has made you a promise, it's yes. You can take it to the bank. How sure are we that God keeps His promises? Remember when Jesus said, Oh, this is cool. Follow me. I'm going to land the plane. Remember when Jesus said, I think this is in the book of John. He said, In three days, I will... What will He do? I'm sorry. The Bible says in... uh, the Bible says in John 2, 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Church, say body and say temple. Your body is a temple. So our bodies are temples. Okay, temples are built to a God. Who are these temples built to? Who are these temples built to? The Bible says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the? Okay, God lives inside you, born again Christian. Who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with the price, therefore honor God with your body. Church, I don't know about you, but this old temple of mine, I don't know if it would pass inspection anymore. Grass don't grow. Whole backside sliding down. Ain't as hot, doesn't get as hot as it used to. Pipes leak. Uh... Smells old. I've got one more, Mama. Want me to do it? It's a good one. It's a good one. Raise your hand if you want me to give it to you. There's always something wrong with the sewer. It gets backed up. Uh, foot. I don't even know where I was at. Oh, Lord. Oh, there it is. I know one of these days, this temple, hey, Laura, this temple's going to cave in. I ain't going to be able to stay in this place forever. I don't know about you, but maybe things aren't as good as they need to be in your temple. The temple isn't what it used to be. And I, I know one of these days. I know one of these days. I did a funeral Friday night. One of these days, there's going to be somebody doing my funeral. I know that. Unless the Lord comes back, I know that. It's obvious. What about my temple? Now we know that if the earthly temple we live in is destroyed, we got another temple from God. And that dude's eternal. It's an eternal house in heaven. You don't got to worry about it falling down, the pipes leaking, the sewer backing up. You don't got to worry about none of that trash. Because it's not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly temple. Therefore, we're always confident and we know that as long as we are at home in this temple, this body, we're away from the Lord. But we live by faith and baby, we don't live by sight. We are confident and say willing rather, I would rather be out of this temple and to be with you. Now I got good news for you. He ain't done with the temple. He's going to put a temple where there hasn't been a temple for 1,960 years. And yet I believe that temple will stand. Don't think for one minute God's going to let you die without rebuilding the temple and raising it up. What God says will rise, will rise. Listen to what the Bible says. We believe that Jesus died and rose again so that... We who believe that God will bring Jesus those who have fallen asleep died in their temple according to the Lord's own word. We tell you that we who are still alive and we're left till the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not precede those whose temples are in the ground. 
For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the Lord, uh, with the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead. All of them temples in Christ will do what? Church, I've got news for you. This temple they put in the ground or this temple they put in an urn and they put up on the shelf or this temple that they'll sprinkle out at the ocean or at the golf course or whatever. I've got great news for you. God's going to pick that temple back up and it will stand. He's going to do it in Revelation for 11, uh, Revelation 11 for the temple in Jerusalem. He's also going to do it for every born again temple in the city of Chester. And Kale. And Ellis Grove. And Steelville. All over. God will raise you up and you'll stand firm no matter where you find yourself. When you say what God says, you go with it. You'll be raised up and you'll stand firm. No doubt, church. Uh, you ever heard of a placebo effect? They give you a little sugar pill and they tell you, oh, this is a new medicine. We're trying it out. It's in clinical studies. It's supposed to do this, this, and this. It's supposed to help with your symptoms. And they ain't getting nothing more than just a sugar pill. They take it and because that's what they expect, sometimes people get better. Sometimes people... Uh, do do that they they excel and they get they, they get healthier placebo everybody's heard uh, everybody has heard of i don't know if you've heard of this it is called a a nocebo a nocebo a nocebo is when you give the same sugar pill but you don't tell them how awesome it is or what they can expect as a benefit you get the nocebo and they say hey we don't have a whole lot of medicines for your condition this is a medicine we have. It's got a lot of horrible side effects. It's going to probably make you sick. You won't probably feel a whole lot better. These are the things that you can expect. Here's your pill. Guess what happens? Same placebo, same sugar pill. Those people get sick. Those people get worse. Those people get exactly what they expected. Just like the people with the placebo, they got exactly what they expected. They expected healing. They expected benefit. They expected wellness. When they got the nocebo, they expected sickness. They expected symptoms. They expected to get worse. Church like the nocebo, if you have a diminished belief in the power of the Word of God, you don't think it's true, you don't think it's accurate, you don't think it has the words of life, you don't believe in the promises of God, let me tell you something, you will get exactly what you've expected. If you're not trusting Him, you're on your own. Well, Brother Mike, what do I do? Here it is. You can start believing the promises of God who says, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will be your healer. I will be your comforter. I will be your strong and mighty tower. I will be your shield. I will be your buckle. I will be your sword. I will be your helmet. I will be your boots. I will be the friend closer than a brother. I will be your alpha and omega. I will be your redeemer and your sustainer. I will be your deliverer. I will stay with you when all the others walk away. I will run out and get you. I will go after the one who's left the 99. I will be with you until the end of days I will be with you all of the days of your life I will never leave you forsaken I will never leave you hungry I will never leave you thirsty come to me and I will give you the words of life and words to live by church I got a question for you do you believe the promises of God you're going to get from it if you expect blessing you expect resurrection you expect to stand I've got good news for you his promises are just that 
And if you don't expect God to move, why in the world are you not expecting the God of the universe to move in a powerful way in your life? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Which of His promises do you need to double down on today? Maybe it's a promise to heal your mind. Maybe it's a, a promise to heal your family. Maybe it's a promise to sustain you. Maybe it's a promise to prophesy over your life. What promise do you need to embrace today? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your precious feet this morning. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to have you stand. You know, this morning, maybe you know a promise and you have a promise. You've just decided not to live in the promise. Maybe it's a promise of healing. Maybe it's a promise of... Maybe it's a promise of ministry or a promise of a call. Today, would you re-embrace that? Today, would you re-embrace that promise and claim it as your own? Almighty God, today, I pray that we would just claim the promise, believe the promise, and seek you. For you are our King. You are our Redeemer. Lord God, I pray that you would supernaturally empower the Christians in this room to walk in favor. And knowing that until their dying breath, they are immortal. They are invincible until we accomplish what you've given us to do. Father, give us the courage and the backbone to do it. We ask this in the precious name of our Savior and our King. Jesus.